Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Thank you, Johan. My sisters tell me they cringe whenever I preach. Some of you might have noticed the sax player up here this morning. That's my mother's husband. Um, my dad, who taught me how to play the guitar as well. Great to be here this morning, right? Good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, this morning, I want to speak to us on God's call. Um, we live in such a connected society. Um, everything, you have the internet, we have um, the cell phones that just keep us connected with everybody else. And um, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, um, there's YouTube. You know, they want to actually combine YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter now, and they're calling it your twit face. Um, I, I have a one-year-old nephew, and um, a few weeks ago, he got a hold of his mom's phone early in the morning. And um, whatever was there, he just he dialed it, and he actually called uh, May's phone, my wife. And um, it was early in the morning, he called, we answered it, and on the other side, you could hear him saying, how? 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 And even at this very young age, even he knows um, about what it means to be connected and what it is, um, what communication is all about and his response to that. Reminded me of a story a while ago. A young girl went up to her mom and asked her mom, she said, Mom, do you have the devil's number? And the mom looked at her like any parent would and said, um, why, do you want the par- why do you want the devil's number? And she said, oh, no, I, I don't want to call him. I just, just want to have it. And her mom thought about this very quickly, and her mom responded and said, you know what, dear? You don't need the devil's number. The devil's got your number. And pretty soon, he's going to be calling it. And so this morning, I want to speak to us about when God calls, because we have all received a call from God. And when God calls, there are no excuses. There's only one response. Here am I. Send me. Or what is it that you want me to do? And I will do it. Now, again, we often limit God's call to some of the things like, you know, maybe going to Zimbabwe or going to India. You know, God's called me to go to Zimbabwe, that kind of thing. But that's not only what God's call is about. God's call could be something very simple, like picking up the phone and speaking to someone who you're not talking to anymore. Um, It means picking up the phone and telling somebody you're sorry. Uh, Maybe it's a business decision that you need to be making at the moment. All this is a response to God's call. And so this morning, we're continuing on our series of His Story And these are not just stories, as you've heard it being said before. This is an historical account um, of what actually happened. And uh, we looked at the book of Genesis. We looked at the call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Right? And this is very important because throughout the rest of the Bible... You always, when God appears, he always says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call them patriarchs. 
And it's important to know, and that's why we've gone through that, to see what God has done throughout their lives. And we've, we, as we went through the book of Genesis, you'd remember that as we ended off last week, we ended off with Joseph, who eventually ended up in Egypt being sold into slavery for a purpose because he rose to prominence and then there was a severe famine that hit that entire land. And because he had made provisions for it, he was able to save the nations, not only of Egypt, but also the surrounding nations. And eventually his, his dad, Jacob, comes through and all um, his brothers, all um, 11 of them and their children all end up in Egypt. And that's how you get the 12 sons of Israel or the 12 sons of Jacob. That's how you get the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, there's some very interesting stuff there, by the way, if you do go and read it. Um, there's one, one of Jacob's sons that ends up marrying his daughter-in-law. Um, because prior to that, he thought she was a prostitute and he had made her pregnant. You thought your soap operas were bad. Go and read the Bible. I think that's where soap operas get their ideas from. But there's some hectic stuff there. You need to go and read it. I'm, I'm not going to go through that this morning. But all of that happens and this entire nation or this entire family of Jacobs ends up in Egypt. And that's where we ended last week. Now, these people multiply like rabbits and they 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 are now this foreigners there's this huge nation 400 years past there's this huge nation that's now living in a foreign land a foreign country and they're called the hebrews um, some of you might remember the synagogue that we used to partner with in boxburg Remember that synagogue? The one day I was in there and they saw an Indian guy and they said, Hebrew. That's the only time you'll hear me with an Indian accent. And it's only funny if I do it, not you. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the call of Moses and the excuses that he made. And they are the same excuses that you and I make today when God calls us. And we pick up in Exodus, which is a continuation of Genesis. So in Exodus chapter 1, there's a new king of Egypt. Remember, about 400 years have passed. There's a new pharaoh, and he did not know about Joseph, and he did not know about what Joseph had done. And because this Hebrew nation had gone so big, he became paranoid. And um, he, said, he said, this nation has become too powerful for us. Um, if we have to go to war, they might join up with our enemies and might fight against us and may defeat us. And so he got paranoid. And so he instructed all the midwives that whenever the Hebrew woman gave birth, he told them to kill the child if it is a son or boy, but to leave uh, the girl if, if it was a girl. And uh, these Hebrew or these midwives were very fearful of God. And so they did not do that. Um, and when the king went and asked them, why isn't it that you're killing the boys? They said, these Hebrew women are too strong. And they actually give birth before we even get there. And um, therefore, we can't, we can't actually kill them. And God blessed these midwives because of that. And so then the king comes up, Pharaoh comes up with another plan. And he says, um, I am now giving an order. Every son that is a he that's born, a Hebrew, shall be thrown into the Nile. That's the order. 
Just a side note, by the way, whenever there's been a coming of a Messiah, it has always been preceded by a mass killing of babies. Uh, before Moses could come, um, Pharaoh killed a whole lot of Hebrew boys that were, that were, they were thrown into the Nile. Um, when Jesus came, prior to him coming, you'd remember Pharaoh giving an order to kill every boy younger than the age of two, right? Preceded by the coming of the Messiah. Since 1973, um, when abortion became legalized in the U.S., till, till today, there's been approximately 50 million abortions carried out in the U.S. alone. Multiply that maybe by 2030 to get the global figure. Preceded by the coming of our Messiah, which will happen soon. And so the order is given out that this is what is to happen. All the boys are to be thrown into the Nile. And then there's a Hebrew um, family out of the tribe of Levi. And this woman gives birth um, to a baby. And um, that's who Moses is. And um, she looks at this baby and she sees this is a mighty fine baby. A lot like what my mom said when I was born. And um, she doesn't throw him into the Nile. She keeps him, but she, cannot, she keeps him up to about three months. And then she can't do this anymore. So then she makes a basket out of papyrus. And um, she seals the inside of it. And she places him in there. And she puts him in the Nile in the reeds. And she leaves him there. And um, eventually, you all know what happens. Pharaoh's daughter comes. She finds him. She takes him out. He's crying, and she gives him the name Moses. And she takes him into Pharaoh's court, which is where he is brought up. He is brought up in the palace of Pharaoh, which means he was educated, which means he could read and write. He wasn't like the other Hebrews who were mainly um, shepherds and at that time had now become slaves. And that is where... We find him a powerful person in Pharaoh's court, and his command would have immediately been obeyed. But when we find him here in Hebrew in Exodus chapter 3, he's just murdered an Egyptian. And he's buried his body in the sand. And rather than being appreciative of what he has done, his own people blackmail him. And they don't show respect to him anymore. And now Pharaoh wants to kill him because of that, which is very different like the Disney's adaptation of this story. Um, because there Pharaoh says he can clear it out and stuff. But this is not the case. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And now Moses runs for his life. And instead of being in the courts of power anymore, we now find him in the desert watching filthy sheep. And he's working for his father-in-law. Not sure what's worse. But during that, during that long time, and in, in Exodus chapter 2, it actually there's a verse there that says, during that long time, Pharaoh died. You know how long that long time was? It was 40 years. One verse, and during that long time, Pharaoh died. And goes, 40 years he had spent in the desert. Now, I don't know, but I just turned 40, and I can tell you, 40 is a lifetime, right? Some of you have turned 40 last year. You'd know. Some of you are going to turn 40 this year. 40 is a lifetime. It's a long time. And to be in the desert 
with filthy sheep, working for your father-in-law for 40 years. That's a long time. That will surely change a man. And that's where we find him, and that's where we pick up in Hebrews chapter 3. It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the, bu- though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I would go over and see this strange thing, why the bush does not burn up. And so often we just read this passage of Scripture, not thinking that Moses was actually a real man. And we forget that, you know, what, what, what exactly happened here. I mean, if it actually happened to us, how different it would be. We often think this was a Bible guy. And we often think Bible guys responded in Bible ways. Behold, a bush burneth. I'm telling you, if we could interpret what went through his mind, it would have been more like, whoa, freaked me out. That's what would have happened. And so he's standing on the desert. He doesn't have a lighter. He doesn't have cigarettes. The sheep are not smoking. They don't have matches. But there's a fire that's there. And it's burning. But it's not burning. It's not, it's not consuming anything. There's no ashes. It's not like burning up. It's just this fire that's burning but not burning. And he looks at this thing. And he goes over. And he looks. Why did God do that? Come, people, why did God do that? You can answer me this morning. There's no snipers that are posted on the balcony that's going to take you out. Why did God do that? He wanted to get his attention. It's amazing how creative our God is, that he actually does this. You know, you could have just sent him a note, so he could have just sent him a message or an email or writing on a papyrus or something. But no, he chose to do it like this, in this way. Our God is so innovative in the way that he does things. And very often, in fact, last week when we had our prayer meeting, after the prayer meeting, Trevor spoke about this and he said, we often look at the heroes of the faith and we often think of them as these mighty people that done great things, you know, on their own. But they were just ordinary people like you and me. In fact, I'm willing to bet that there are more people capable of doing what God did in this room today than Moses was. And so he's standing there on the edge of a desert, and this thing catches on fire, and it's it's just burning. But as I said, it's not really burning. And God says to him, Moses, Moses, I'm telling you, if, this thing just catches on fire in the middle of the desert and you go to it and you you see it's burning, but it's not really burning and that doesn't get your attention. I'm telling you, if the bush speaks to you, that will get your attention. And God knew that. And he says to Moses, take off your sandals for the place that you're standing on is holy ground. What has God said to you? Because when God speaks... You better be paying 
attention. And Moses hid his face from God because he knew this is God. This is the almighty creator of the universe. You see, it's dangerous for us to press ignore when God calls us. And not dangerous because he can fry us on the spot, because you know he can do that. But dangerous because we might miss everything that he has purposed and intended for our lives. Answer his call. And verse 8 says this, Then God says, I have seen the misery of my people in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. And then he says to Moses, I have come down to rescue them. What a marvelous thing. This is what Moses had been waiting for. I mean, Moses would have thought, yeah, come on down. Bring some weapons. Bring some guns. Bring some swords. I've got some people I want you to come and meet. This was going to be incredible. For too long, his people had been under slavery in Egypt. And now God said he was coming down. And in the very next breath, God tells him, now you go. You can think about what went through Moses' mind. Um, just wait a second. I'm pretty sure a minute ago you said you were coming down. See, dear friends, you are God's answer to the world. And so, it's, so many times we approach God and we say, God, help us. God, help us. Lord, help, help me. Help my friend to come to know you. God says, I'm coming down. Now you go and talk to him. Oh God, please help me pass my grade this year. And God says, I'm coming down. Now go study. Or you say, Lord, please help me in my marriage. It's on the rocks. And God says, I'm coming down. Now go tell her you're sorry. God has chosen you. And you know what we do? We often make excuses. And so this morning, we're going to go through those excuses that Moses made. Now, he told me my computer is dead. So we can just put up the normal one in, on the Mac that you did earlier. Thanks, Heath. And so excuse number one, Moses says, who am I? Roughly translated, that means I am a nobody. I don't walk in the courts of power anymore. I have no political clout. I have nothing. I am here just with these stinking sheep. Nobody respects me. I killed a man. God, who am I? The only thing that I've got going for me is a decent looking beard and a slight resemblance to Charlton Heston. For the younger people, he was the guy that played Moses in the Ten Commandments. But when you say this, I am a nobody, God's response to that is, I know. And all God said with him was, I will go with you. I know you're a nobody, but I am a somebody. You see, God's not looking for extraordinary people. God is looking for ordinary people who will trust in an extraordinary God. And so God will go with you. So Anthony, forgive me for picking on you, 
but you're sitting in the front row. You've asked for it. Suppose this evening you get into bed and while you're just lying there, the light in your room catches on fire, right? And this thing just freaks you out and you grab your phone and you're about to call the fire department because you know there's only seven operating fire engines in our city at the moment. Eh? So you reach out, you, call your, you get your phone and you look at this thing that's burning and then you realize it's burning, but, it, but it's not burning. It's not like, it's not consuming. There's no ashes or anything like that. And so, and so you put your phone down because they, they probably won't come in any case. And, and you look at this thing and you think, wow, you've just witnessed the most amazing thing on the face of this earth. now. And then while this thing is burning, it's burning, but it's not burning. It calls out to you. And it says, Anthony, Anthony, and you listen and you, and you see this and you think, whoa, and, and then you become convinced that God is calling. And it says, Anthony, Anthony, you know, your wife's going to tell you, answer it. And you become convinced, oh, no, this is God talking to you. And, and then God starts to talk and he says, I don't know, Anthony, I want you to go and I want you and your family to go and plant a church in India. And um, you say, well, I'm a nobody. I'm just Anthony. I sit in the front row of the church, <laughs> which is not cool. I'm just Anthony. And then God tells you, I will go with you. What would you do? You'd get out of bed, right? I'm sure the both of you, you would you'd consider this thing very seriously because he said he would go with you, right? <laughs> Anthony's just responded, yes, absolutely, he's there. Not the Bible guy, not Moses. He comes up with, Another excuse. He says, okay, so you go with me? Yes, I will go with you. Okay, but I don't know what to say. How many of you have said that before? I don't know what to say. That's his next excuse. He says, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to say? Is this lame or what? And then God tells him, he tells him, he says, tell them the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you. In other words, God was telling to him, I'll tell you what to say. God will tell you what to say. See, God doesn't need a smooth PowerPoint presentation. He doesn't need a smooth talker. He doesn't need anyone who's elegant with their words or eloquent with their words. He just needs you. That's all he needs. And we need to be obedient. So you guys, Haramses, Anthony and Sonia, you're gone. You've done this. You've gone. Moses has got another excuse. He says this, what if they don't believe me. 
And this is an interesting one because I never ever really thought about this. I've asked the questions many times and many times we've spoken to people that still don't respond and still don't believe us. And so we ask, what's the purpose? Why should we even do this if they're not going to believe us? And did you know that it's not your job to make them believe? Did you know that? How many of you knew that? How many of you felt like that before, that these people won't believe me? You see, God has called us to different things. For me, God's called me to be an elder here at LRC. It's not my job to make people believe. It's your job and it's my job to be obedient in proclaiming the good news of Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit's job to draw people unto him. Anything else is manipulation. Anything else is manufactured. It's our job to be obedient to him. Now, God doesn't tell him that in so many words. But when Moses says, what if they don't believe me? God asks him, what is that in your hand? Moses says, fingers. He says, not that hand, the other hand. He says, it's a staff. And God tells him, throw the staff down. You know, Moses would have been thinking, why? Throw the staff down, Moses. So he throws the staff down. What happens to the staff? Becomes a snake. Again, we don't think, hey, this is a normal, ordinary guy. You would have responded like an ordinary person. We often think him saying, behold, what was straight is now crooked and is moving. No, you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us Moses put his knees to the breeze and he buggered out of there. It says that. It says Moses ran away. God had to call him back. Moses, pick up the snake. No, you pick up the snake. And eventually he picks up the snake. What happens to the snake? Turns back into a staff again. God tells him, put your hand into your cloak. He puts his hand into his cloak. He takes it out. It's diseased. It's got leprosy. His hand is as white as snow. God tells him, put it back in. He puts it back in. He takes out his hand. It's smooth again. God healed him of his leprosy instantly. What God was saying to him is, you don't worry about making them believe. I will make them believe. Anthony, Anthony's gone. He's gone. If you went to his house, there's already new people living there. He's packed his bags, everything. And he's gone. Not Moses. Not Moses. He's got another excuse. Okay, so you'll go with me? Yes, Moses. I will go with you. And you will tell me what to say? Yes. Okay. And you'll bring the tricks? Yes, I will. Um... I don't talk very well. When he said this, he said that he's not eloquent of speech. Most scholars actually will tell you that Moses actually stuttered um, throughout his life. I'm sure you would have probably exaggerated that um, when he gave this excuse. Uh, God, I don't talk. See? I don't talk very well. God asks him, who made man? Who made his mouth that he could be mute um, or deaf? Who gives him sight 
You see, God doesn't call you to do anything unless he has also perfectly equipped you to do that. Psalms 139, the scripture of mine that just always fascinates me about where God says you are perfectly, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've had a, a baby being born into our, into our, into our church yesterday. Uh, my wife says she looks like a grandfather, which thankfully a grandfather is good looking. So, But fearfully, you think of the factors that have to come together to actually put creation or, or a human together. It's, it's unfathomable, if that's a word. Um, you're fearfully made. You know what that means? It means that when God created you and he knitted you together in your mother's womb, he was actually scared. He was fearful to make a mistake. That's what I interpret this to be. That's what was the environment that you were created. And you were created to be perfect. And that's why when you walk into a room, people look at you. And they say, mm, mm, mm. That's someone good looking. And so young people, when anyone tells you you're ugly, you just smile. And you tell them you don't have taste. Because God has created you perfectly. Moses has one final excuse. Okay, so you'll go with me? Yes. And you will tell me what to say? Yes. Okay, and you'll bring the tricks? Yes. I don't talk well, so you'll help me say the right things? Yes, I will. Please send somebody else. We understand that God's face got red with this one. He got angry at him. And God's answer to that is always the same. No. I've called you. And while God still helps us and he arranged for Aaron, his brother, to come, Moses still had to go. And when God calls us, we need to respond like that. We often think, you know, well, if I don't do it, then maybe somebody else will. That's not what happens, friends. He has chosen you. And we all know what happens, and Moses gets chosen. We know the plagues. We know that eventually he leads the people out of Israel. God opens up the Red Sea, and eventually he leads them onto the brink of the promised land. And this was the starting point of greatness of what God had called him to do. He has called you this morning. Have you heard the ringtone? And I have absolutely no idea what he has called you to do. But you know, don't you? And you turn the phone over and there's two options. Answer or ignore. What are you going to do? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za.